five, four, three, two, one. Uh, the Miramax Films logo. Um, I'm Kevin Smith, director, writer, director of Clerks. But before we jump into this, I'm gonna let Walter talk about the animation. Walt. Um, the animation got started because I drew a picture and sent it to Kevin out in Canada. He liked it and said he wanted to have it be the opening of the logo. Um, I knew nothing about animation. I still really don't. I just drew a lot of pictures of clowns and and a kid throwing a ball, and we took him to New York to a guy who did know, and that's what he came up with. Well, it's being modest. And actually, uh, to tell you the truth, when the movie was released, some guy wrote to the Daily News complaining, called that a child molesting clown, and in reality he wasn't. He never really touches that boy. His ass kind of hangs in front of the boy's face, <laughs> but that's about it. He never really molests the boy. So once again, I'm Kevin Smith, writer-director of Clerks, and we got a room full of people here, people involved with Clerks, some people not involved with Clerks. We'll see if we have any surprise mystery guests. Somehow I, th I don't think so. We're in Minnesota on the set of Mall Rats right now, but it's one of our only days down, so we're going to watch Clerks and do some commentary for you because we're huge Laserdisc fans. Um, but let's go around the room. You know me. I'm going to introduce you to uh, producer... Editor, sound man, uh, all around got a good guy, Scott Mosier. Hi, very nice to be here. Scott also pops up in the film later on twice. We'll point that out. Uh, sitting to my right, uh, star of Clerks, Dante himself, Brian O'Halloran. Glad you can join us for a great film. Uh, almost passed out at my feet, very drunk as per usual, is... Uh, Clerks co-star and uh, and Mallrats co-star, ironically enough, Jason Muse playing the role of uh, Jay. I love chicks and I'm here and I'm partying up. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! Um, uh, to below me on the floor, not beneath me, but below me, as already introduced <laughs> to you, is uh, our, our our Lon Chaney of Clerks, the man who plays four roles plus did the opening animation, Walt Flanagan. Very nice to be here. And a very few words. Uh, and sitting to my furthest right, um, Vincent Pereira, the clerks, the official clerks historian and Laserdisc aficionado, um, who was there for the origin and uh, is even out here now in Minnesota as we work on Morats. Vinny actually shows up, what, twice in the film? Twice in the film and owns the cat in Lennon's tomb. Hold on, here's Vin. What's up? And uh, representing the media tonight, Malcolm Ingram from Film Threat. Hi, Mom. It's the good load. Okay, so the first thing we're seeing here is once we get out of the house, uh, I just want to go back real quickly and talk about that dog's ass that you saw. Uh, what he was supposed to be doing was drinking out of the toilet, but I don't know if that came across very well. Somebody once blasted me in a, in a review saying that, I resorted to such cheap jokes as showing a, a close-up of a dog's ass, so just to clarify that, that's not true. Uh, here we are in the store now. You'll notice that the shutters are closed. In a few seconds, Dante's going to go out and, well, before he picks, after he picks up the papers here, he's going to try to open those shutters, but he can't because we shot most of the movie at night except for this outside stuff like you're seeing right now. So uh, I wrote into the screenplay that the shutters could not be open, and that it just made it much easier for us because we certainly couldn't afford to rent what do they call those lights? H HMIs? 
HMIs, you know, we could have flooded the outside into the store with light, but it, which, but it wouldn't have worked, so we didn't have that much cash. So uh, in this movie, the, the shutters are closed. See, here he comes now, sliding out the garbage can. If you hear this overproduced sound mix because of the last minute, uh, Miramax wanted to open up the sound a bit. You'll see there's gum on those locks. You can't really see. That's why. And it's later explained that, that there is gum on the locks. But anyway, you see hearing all these little noises and stuff. They were only added uh, mere days before the film was theatrically released. On the festival circuit, we never really had all those sounds. But that killer song by Love Among Freaks has been in this film since it's, uh, the first print of it. Um, I think they always called it Simply Clerks. The first time they recorded it was on a four-track cassette recorder in, uh, I believe, Scott Angley's house. Scott Angley, a friend of mine from high school who wrote the music. But um, later on, they got to reproduce it in the studio. So this is the version you're hearing now. It's pretty sweet. It's a little funkier, too. Now we're going to move into the first of many long vocabulary words that uh, pop up as chapter headings in the film. We'll talk about them later on. First scene here, we got Bry, Brian O'Halloran, and Scott Schiaffo. A couple of good actors we found at First Avenue Playhouse in Atlanta Collins. Here comes DP, Dave Klein, wearing that hat that we all thought was so funny that night. Retrospect didn't really make sense. Vin's got a comment now. Just to point out that I was camera operator on this scene since Dave was acting. I don't know, since I was about 13. Gloryhound Vin Pereira grabbing the mic <laughs> to, to point out one of his uh, many attributes. The uh, okay, the lung that they just threw That's up on the lung. counter wasn't really a By lung at all, but it was a calf's, uh, calf's what, liver? You've got a to be <laughs> yeah, it was a haggis or something like that. Tripe, that's it. And um, we bought it at the food store, and it came in this kind of net baggy thing. So we just kind of shaped it into what we thought a lung might look like. Took it outside, rubbed it around in the dirt, threw, put out some cigarette butts in it. And uh, there it is. That's the lung. Never got a close-up of that lung, though. Should have got it, because, of course, it didn't look that good, but... You know, well, would have it would have conveyed the impression of a dirty lung. I actually wrote this scene back when I was not a smoker, when I was a staunch advocate of non-smoking. And, and during uh, production of the film, I actually slowly became a smoker, and now I'm up to 19 packs a day. No, two packs a day. That maybe one one and a half packs a day. Bro, you got something to say? Yeah, that that uh, lung that we made reeks like hell, and and I stick my face nearly back down into it as I read my magazine again. That's when I got a lung full of that lung. That's a good actor for you. She can't even tell. Oh, you can see your nostrils kind of flaring. Now, here comes the first of what are four appearances. Used to be five of uh, Master Animator Walt Flanagan. There he is. Walt became our Lon Chaney because uh, any time we had a role that we didn't fill, put a hat on him and a wig, and there he was. And then there he is himself, the little Funkmeister, our little sonic boom with dirt on it, Jay. Standing next to yours truly. Two in the background is Kill the Sex Player by Girls Against Boys. <clears throat> Who, Jay's? Uh, it's just tied back, actually. Didn't you have it shaved on the sides? And it's tied back, and you'll see the, hair, the hat comes off later on, the shirt comes off. And the. Gotta love that shirt, Doonesbury shirt. Now you'll see in the mirror there, see it in the window? There's Vinny just pulled by on a bike. 
And uh, it was actually serendipitous he did it. I mean, it wasn't slated to happen. It was in the script that we were supposed to be pointing and talking to somebody. Then he just happened to arrive at the store while we were filming the scene. It actually kind of worked. Look at me. I don't even look like a real smoker if you watch real closely. Look at that. Oh, that ain't, that ain't a real smoker. I was barely inhaling. Ah, Scott Mosier, producer. Tell into that scene was cut actually went on where Jay listed, gave a laundry list of the stuff that he sells, but uh, it was just kind of gratuitous, so we didn't go with it. And Jay was kind of, Jay was drunk anyway. <laughs> Much like he is now, right, right there, Smacky. Are you are you a mean drunk or a nice drunk? So we swing around the crowd. This used to be one long scene, about three minutes long, one take, but it went on and on. So we just kind of cut it and we threw in this coverage of us outside to bridge the gap. Smoking a cigar. Listen to Walt. See, just like the fucking Nazis, Walt was closest to the mic, as was a friend of ours, Ed Hapstack, who we'll see later on in the flick. And because of that, they get some of the best one-liners off, which we'll all point out to you as they pop up. Scott Schiaffer on a tour de force performance. Now here comes Ed's, uh, next to the mic. Smoke my big fat cock. He's the guy who's closest to the mic. He gets off on the, the most vulgar kind of uh, one-liners in the whole film. And then Walter's You Can Smell It, which we just missed. Which should have been the tagline for this film, Clerks. You Can Smell It. The fire extinguisher we use, the first time you see it blast in there, that is a real fire extinguisher. But this stuff here, that's just baby powder that we just kept squirting in the air. And everybody was kind of surprised when that thing happened because when it blew, everyone turned around and got a mouthful. Walt? Uh, Let's see some mouthful of fire extinguisher stuff. It's sulfur. It's yeah. really fun to spray it, though. Yeah, Vinny actually stood on the freezer and sprayed it. Not only did Vinny shoot that first scene because Dave was in it and couldn't operate, Vinny also here. shot the fire extinguisher. Yeah, there's a crowd of five there, or six, and now only two leave. Because we filmed the scene, of course, in two parts, and second time nobody would come back. That was Walt again. This is a scene that wasn't really in the script. We made it up kind of that night. Something very rare on a Kevin Smith project. Yeah, Walter's... Walter's actually wearing a beard, one of Brian's theatrical beards. So we use that to create gray hair, which actually comes across. Walt looks kind of old in that scene. This scene here, uh, actually, the, in the first cut of the film at, that played at the IFFM and even at Sundance, uh, Marilyn Gigliotti playing Veronica walked into the shop and um, sat down with him. But it just went on, so we kind of cut the beginning and bridged it with that rolling the cigarette in the fingers. Close up. Yeah, the scene actually went on longer than where it is. Why'd you agree to it stops. Uh, stops in about two lines. But it did go on and on. Someone jammed gum in the locks. 
You're kidding. Bunch of savages in this town. It's pretty nice. Between Sundance and, and uh, the theatrical cut, we took out about 13 minutes. Thanks. Brought it down to 90, because comedy should really be between 90 and 100 minutes. It's time in the morning, people just get paper. So we'll see, we're here on the long shot. We're going to pop in on a two, a closer two. Do a nice little jump cut here. Wasn't that nice? It was actually kind of herky-jerky. This whole now painting thing was the first bit of business I really incorporated or, for, or used as a director in rehearsals. You remember that, Brian? I mean, we went over the story once already, but... It was uh, the scene kind of just wasn't. It was just lying there. I mean, it was the dialogue was fine, so the performances were great, but just needed something to make it a little naturalistic. So they weren't looking at each other. Yeah. We were lucky that Marilyn had some nail polish in a purse. I knew how to paint a nail. Not like I've painted any on myself, No, no, Brian never paints his own nails. So uh, and there it was. Suddenly he was painting nails behind the counter, which got cited in a lot of reviews. People liked that. Yeah, nice touch. Realism? Yeah. Uh, Close up here, we punch in for. Watch the camera moves very slightly to the left. We wouldn't have used it, but we needed that. It was the only close up of the nails we had. This dialogue, I remember the first time I actually heard it in the theater, I was cringing. Because uh, we watched it at the IFFM in New York, the uh, independent feature film market. The crowd of about how many people? Yeah, at best. And uh, most of them were with the film. October of Yeah, October '93. October 3rd, '93, actually. And uh, I'm listening to this dialogue for the first time, watching it on a big screen at the Angelica Film Center. And I just cringed. It sounded, it, you know, it just sounded so uh, gross. And it wasn't because of the delivery, might I add. No, it wasn't the performances. It was just the writing. I was just like, what was I thinking? Get my mind out of the gutter. But, but if sure. Well, the yeah, eye was a really. It's a really. It wasn't even a festival screening. It was a marketplace screening. So buyers come and go. It makes you feel very terrible. At that point, I swore I'd never write filthy dialogue again. I've quickly rescinded on that because the box is in filthy dialogue. Mineral or vegetable? Vegetable meaning paraplegic. Yeah, they put up the least amount of struggle. After dropping a bombshell like that, you owe me. Notice big. how well framed it looks for a film that was shot I in 16 and brought out to 185. Mm. To school. Um, There's a seminar about getting back into a scholastic program. After I've noticed that most 16 films look rather tightly cropped, top and bottom, but uh. Dave really framed this really well and it, it just blew up beautifully. And in fact, the 185 print probably looks better than the full frame edition. Here we go, second appearance of producer Scott Mosier. Scott, why don't you uh, enlighten us as to uh, the differences between scripted Willem and, uh, and played and performed Willem. But actually, let's hold on one second because I want to point out to the careful viewer the appearance of Walt Flanagan. At the very, in the next take, we come back to Willem. Look in the very, the severe, what is it? Would that be there left or my right? Left hand court. Yeah, you just missed it. Walter kind of, yeah, Walter was the clap boy that day. And he actually snapped the slate and was running out of the frame and we started shooting. So this is a really hard scene to shoot because Scott was laughing the whole time. But hold on, tell him about scripted Willem. Um, the scripted Willem was uh, more of a college guy. And uh, we actually had a guy, Ed Hapstack's brother, was going to play it. 
but he didn't want to play it because he didn't want to be known as the guy who ate his own cum. And I had no problem with being the guy that ate his own cum. So, and I didn't exactly look like a college guy, so he sort of turned into a, a bit of a drug addict, um, innocent um, idiot man-child that he is in the film. You stuck that guy's dick? Snowball will jump in a, we'll grab in a second. I just want to point out that this is probably the scene that, if anything, gave us the NC-17 was the whole 37, you suck 37 dicks conversation. We got an NC-17 originally by the MPAA, and then they reversed it and gave us an R without a single cut, which is really rare, but thank God they did it. But the um, term snowballing came from a friend of ours, uh, a friend of a friend, actually, who described snowballing as... as you know, give, getting head and receiving your load shot back in your mouth by whoever gives that head. Snowballing, uh, you know, ardently or just casually. You'll notice Jane Kurtz here who plays the customers bringing up uh, rubber gloves and Vaseline. You have to look real closely to see that. It's one of the cheapest jokes in the film, but we thought it was funny that night. And then uh, her boyfriend who comes up right after, Mike Pelican, is a friend of mine. In the old days, brings up diapers, which wasn't very funny, but it was actually a product placement. Because are they huggies? There they are. Nobody paid us for that product placement. See those shades behind Brian's head? We actually used those outside the door right there to filter the light. We didn't, we didn't have any gels or anything, so two people are outside there holding that up. It was kind of taped and it kept slipping. It was one of the very, yes, you could see it shake in the background. Oh my god, listen to this. Listen to this, you can hear Jason Mewes snoring on the floor. Again, bemused by the wonder of clerks. Um, yeah, but you're right outside the door, too. I mean, you can't see them, thank God. They still have camera. Vinny and Mrs. Topper, a woman who owns the store, keeping customers away. See, Marilyn didn't really open the door. We cut right there, and then we just... The that guy right there, Mitch Cohen, boyfriend of uh, Leslie Hope, our makeup girl. One of the simplest intertitles in the film, Randall. I thought this place supposed to be open Stan. Stan Barnaski, who wouldn't go by his real name. He went by the name Lee Bendick, which was his, his wife's maiden name. It's not like it's a demanding job over there. I'd like to get paid to sit on my ass and watch TV. Probably the shame of being involved in a film that had this many um, cuss words in it. He was a customer of the store. Uh, Stan was actually a customer who came in all the time. I thought he gave a great performance. The last scene had one of the um, only problems with the lab, the scene with Rowan Black. That whole role came back with a burn right through it when you first shot it, and the whole thing had to be reshot. Later in the shoot, which is why you'll notice through the film, Brian's beard gets thicker and thinner. You'll find the stuff that we shot for, uh, first, because his beard, his, his whole goatee kind of thing is thin. His Van Dyke, if you will. And watch this, watch this pretty bad burn cut of the keys going in the garbage. Yeah, it's the worst, look at it. See that burn? Not a style choice. Yeah, getting back to the beard, uh, Kevin had asked me to shave, the, I had had that goatee to begin with. Had uh, asked me to shave it off. 
uh, three days before shooting. So I'd shaved it off and coming in for one of the rehearsals and he looked and went, whoa, that's not what I wanted. So they asked me to grow it back and I have quick, you know, hair follicles, I guess, and I grew it right back. Uh, Betsy Broussard, but uh, let's, let's talk about the first appearance of Randall in the film. This is where the film suddenly becomes a buddy movie. Randall, portrayed by Jeff Anderson. Who's not here. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, Jeff was a friend of mine from high school who um, started coming to the video store a lot. And uh, I told him about the movie and I said, why don't you pop in for auditions? So he popped in and he actually auditioned for the role of Jay. Um, yeah, there you go, Allison Shades in the background. Thanks to Sony, the kind people at Sony. Yeah, he could pick up that clerk's soundtrack, still on sale. Um, so anyway, he was a friend of mine, and he came in for the auditions. Audition was Jay. I was going to play the role of Randall myself. I had written it to play myself. That's why Randall has all the best lines. But, um, sorry, sorry. But, um, I, you know, we got close to uh, production, just couldn't do it. That No Time for Love, Dr. Jones, that comes from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But, um... So anyway, uh, once I realized that, you know, I got, got it, I'm not going to be able to play this part and direct and work in the store, I started looking for a Randall, and, and none of the real actors we had seen kind of fit the role, but Jeff, who'd never acted before, it seemed like he kind of fit it. So I sat down, read the whole script with him, bingo, bango, he got it. Some guy just came in refusing to pay late fees. Said the store was closed for two hours yesterday. Tore up his membership. You notice the back and forth between hey, Jeff and Brian is, is just incredible. Look at that. See, that was a hostess pie sign. If you look real closely, it says Dave's pie. Scott drew the Dave. Little Dave figure. Give him a thumbs up. Dave, our DP. A salute to Dave. I think this is where the dialogue in the film plays is at its most stylized and, and, and fastest. Just goes back and forth, like a kind of like a David Mamet scene, scene of a David Mamet play. David Mamet meets Howard Stern. More business. And actually, some people asked if Jeff was reading his lines, but he's not. He's actually just reading Courier, local paper. Eight and a half. But I remember on that clapboard. Right, right? Yeah, there were some keywords on that clapboard. Yeah, we had to throw a few keywords in there, especially for that uh, little speech that Bry has coming up. He has one very long mouthful. But it's a great bit of business. Like, you got the clapboard, you got the receipts, you got the calculator. It just looks real busy. Interesting postscript to that story. Do you know who wound up in that dark bedroom with Brad? Your mother? Alan Harris. Now he's going to make a, a crack about they moved to Idaho, Idaho together. Once again, a little little nod to Dave, the DP. He's from Idaho himself. Never raised sheep and is not gay. Broke your heart and inadvertently drove men to deviant lifestyles. There was a lot of good in our relationship. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, aside from the cheating, we were a great couple. I mean, that's what high school was about. Yeah. Just sounded like a funny idea. Think things would be different this time around? They are. When she calls me now, she's a different person. She's frightened. Mm, great song. 
She's just about finishing college and she's about to enter the real Here world. comes that big mouth while let's talk about the prize guys go out. No, 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 I'm listening. She's leaving college and... And she's looking for me for support. And I think this is leading our relationship to a new level. And what about Veronica? Here it comes. Well, I think the arguments Veronica and I are having are some kind of manifestation of a subconscious desire to break up with her. So I could pursue a more meaningful relationship with Caitlin. Look at that. It doesn't look like he's reading at all. That's because his eyes are pro. I think all four of you better sit down and talk long it over. Very long take. You'll notice no cuts here, man. Back and forth. Caitlin came from a nod to Degrassi Junior High, which is a show in uh, Canada. You should know that, Malcolm. Torontonian that you are. Yeah, what are you looking for? One of the biggest scenes of the film always gets noticed is the, uh, is the porno list that Randall reels off. And being that the, uh, the woman here is uh, Vincent's sister-in-law, like Vincent's got some insight into the scene. This scene was pretty fun to film. Um, as a matter of fact, the girl is also my niece. But it was um, it was amusing to film because I remembered that Randall, um, Jeff, didn't want to read that list off in front of her. And in fact, his close-up of re reading off the uh, porno list was filmed separate from Connie and Ashley in the store. And yet, for reaction shots, when I was when they were filming Connie, she actually had me read the list out loud in front of her and my little niece, who was three years old at the time, and she didn't even get it. So, best line, best one line, yeah, invented all those titles. Best one line in that whole list is a huge black cock of pearly white cum. The one I less left out, I loved, was ass blasters in outer space, but it, we never made it into the list there. <laughs> KY yeah, Men in World 2, the KY Connection. Now here we come to uh, another great moment in, in the film. We refer to this yeah, as the like first the strong 45 minutes of the film. Because it's like bang, it bang, bang with the jokes. Once the two boys get together, things starts riding no, no, fast. No, 37 is great too. The whole 37 big sequence. Yeah, another long But here we go. The... Uh, Tricky shot here with the cat. Everyone always asked us at the festival screenings, you know, how'd you get the cat to shit on cue? And the typical response was, well, you know, it's not that difficult. You just gotta beat the shit out of him. But, uh, he was actually shitting me. That cat. First time we popped him in the box, he wouldn't do it. Are you sure? And the gentleman you see there standing in front of me is the owner of the First Avenue Playhouse where they had auditioned. Yeah, we held auditions for clerks at his playhouse. But that cat did take a dump. If you listen real closely, if you go back on the sound mix, you can hear that shit hitting the dirt, hitting the cat sand. And then Bri, sniffing. John Henry Westhead as the immortal Olaf, singer of Berserker. And our makeup person, Leslie Hope. And of course, Jay himself. Would you get off the microphone cord, you drunken bastard? Jay is still very past... Pastor Jay, your scene's up. Say something. Love <laughs> Give us a little insight into this, man. Um, I love this scene. I love movies. It's the best we're gonna get out of him. Recently in the news, there was a case of some guys. What did they do? Those skinheads and the guy. Killed one of their parents, and the guy had Berserker written on his forehead. 
Yeah, yeah, Singh, Olaf, yeah, I'm kind of curious on, if that anything to do with it. The, the USA t-shirt he's wearing is a nice, on, nice touch. If you look at me, I'm really pissed off too because Jason couldn't spit this scene out. Yeah, wrote the lyrics of Berserker once when we were on our way back from the mall. There's a character that Walter kind of created. He, he stole a wig from J.C. Penney off a mannequin and started wearing it around backwards. We were telling everyone he was a Russian metalhead. So, uh, hence Olaf was born. <coughs> oh, that was believed. It wasn't the original soundtrack of Empire that you were using. Yeah, <laughs> that sound effect that we used for Empire Strikes Back, we kind of built. I mean, he later, he, now he goes in the store and tells Dante he was watching Empire. Yeah, he's watching Return of the Jedi. There's Scott again. That's beautiful, man. Pringle scene, always a big one. On Chuck Pickle, playing a Bill Murray type guy. Usually, I just turn the can upside down. That sounds like Bill Murray's character from Caddyshack a bit. It, it, put a but uh, on the festival circuit, heard, I can't tell you how many times I heard, that's happened to me so many times. That whole Pringle can on the hand thing. There's a nice little touch here. Bri actually eats the potato chips that are left at the bottom. It stings a little. Just a word of advice, my friend. Yeah, Sometimes it was really you gotta nice. Thanks. Probably had Chuck Bickle sweat all over. You know that article's accurate. Caitlin really is getting married. You know what I just watched? Me pulling a can off some morons fist. Return of the Jedi. Yeah? Didn't you hear me? Caitlin is really getting married. Ooh, good eye. Good eye. Like yeah, the better? can's suddenly Jedi missing when they come back to the can. Also, this shot Empire was done last for me. Dolly a couple of times. Empire had the better ending. Well, I mean, Luke gets his hand cut smooth. off, finds out Vader's his father, uh, hand gets frozen, mm. take away by Boba Fett. No Pringle can. can. No Pringle can. I mean, that's what life is. Big the scene, man. Star Wars scene. All, all Jedi had was Love a bunch of songs. <laughs> yeah, the song's by Supernova, a song called Chewbacca. Which uh, just right? repeatedly says, Chewie, what a Wookiee. Is that written for this? No, it wasn't. It was just an existing tune. We kind of got into a lot. A little too much, I guess. Yeah, the French post of the film basically has this image on it. You figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, local guy. Thomas. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. With the egg one. Yeah, it could be that. But this scene right here, it took us about 16, 17, maybe 20 takes to get. Because the guy that plays the roofer kept messing up, and a really great story about that is Jason Mewes was um, surprisingly drunk the night that uh, we were shooting this, and he was sitting on the floor of the convenience store while we were shooting his coverage when we get to the roofer. And um, the roofer, we go into our 15th take or something, and, uh, and Jason, Jason just lets out from the, from the floor, he messed up again? And the roofer goes, can we get this guy out of here? And so we had to put Jay in the video strip. And later on, the, the roofer guy freaked Jay out by... Uh, once Jay came in with a uh, joint behind his ear, and uh, the guy, the roofer guy, was like, uh, what the hell are you doing? And Jay's like, what? And he's like, you know what I am, don't you? And Jay's like, what? And the roofer guy turns to me, and he's going, you know what I am, don't you? And I, I, I didn't know, so I just started distancing myself from Jason because I thought a rest was coming down. But um, he's going, I'm a narc, for God's sakes. And Jay goes, Jay, like, starts walking back, and he, like, starts hiding the joint. He's like, what are you talking about? 
When the guy revealed that he wasn't really a narc. And speaking as a roofer, I can tell you, roofer's personal politics comes into play heavily when choosing jobs. Like when? Three weeks ago, I was offered a job up in the the disc. Beautiful house, tons of property. See, now we we noticed Jay's shirt is missing. His outfit changes throughout the entire movie. Kind of a little ode to Animal House here with Jay cramming food in his mouth. Dominic Bambino's babyface Bambino, the gangster, the same. The money and the, the right. reason we have but actually Jay in there hard. eating food that was inscriptive was, was because we couldn't that, get this I in a single take. A so I just said we need some coverage. We need right. something to cut to. Which actually makes it more cinematic, I guess. Because we couldn't get it all the way. If you'll notice, he runs to the back of the store, which we never really figure out why. I mean, so basically, I guess he's hiding in the freezer. The big vocabulary words, uh, we're going to talk about them later, but first we're going to talk about this. Great scene. But you'll notice, see the outside, we didn't have gels. We didn't have a sh- those shades to use from next door, so it looks like a nuclear winter Sir. outside. It's bright as hell, but watch Jay real closely in the background. He's going to turn his well, attention on her. He's looking in, and he starts doing the whole... He's pointing. He's like telling Silent Bob to look in. I take a peek in. Jay starts doing the tongue. See it? And doing the dick-sucking face. And smiling. Then he pulls out a cig. And I light it for him. It's uh, Donna Jean from uh, the First Avenue Playhouse, the owner's wife. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I beg your pardon? I just had to trust Dave on this. I was listening really closely, though. Jay's not saying anything outside. It's kind of funny. You see him, he's boxing me and shit. I wonder if anyone ever saw that in the theater, though. I hope it feels so good to be Everything in the background. Yeah, we know to expect it, but the audience, first hearing audience. See him jumping up and down? I said, just jump up and down, because that's kind of his character. He watches her go. I listen to him in the background. <laughs> Always a big laugh. If only you could have saw the outside, though, that would have been sweet. And then the, on the board in the background, there's a picture of Larry Flynn Boyle and the cast of Seinfeld. Those four kind of white dots of the four faces of Seinfeld. And above it, picture of Larry Flynn Boyle holding a sheep. Yeah, this is the French poster right here. Walter, second appearance as the Eggman, the immortal Eggman. Uh, we actually kind of had Leslie, the, the makeup chick, gray up his temple, so he's got that whole Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four kind of look going. We had another case of we just could not get an actor to fill the role, so we just changed Walter's appearance, further living up to his title of Lon Chaney in the 90s. See the, the egg spinning around? Look at that. That's my favorite part, just the light tap to make it roll. This chick here, that's my sister. She was actually pretty good. Now the disappearing egg part. Look at the deflated, the deflated the appearance. Why well, I saw it happen in Food City like last year. Different guy though. Stock boys said they'd been looking through cartons of eggs for like half an hour, doing all sorts of yeah. She mentions her job up, uh, job occupation at the end, and uh, basically I came out of the Village Voice. There was a, a, a vice column there. Well, why don't you give us a little Eggman talk? 
Um, I remember driving in a torrential rainstorm trying to get that jacket and a tie from your house and your mom because I didn't have anything to wear for that. You wanted somebody to look sort of professional. And uh, it was probably the most fun scene that I, or fun character that I had. Oh, no, I came up with the nipple thing, but Kevin wanted me to smash him on the uh, window. <laughs> okay, right now, this is one of the hardest. Watch, here comes a big gaff continuity. See, there's no sign on the register. There's no, if you plan to shoplift, let us know sign. There's a Greenpeace sticker. And in a second, there is going to be a sign when we cut back. See, there's a sign. It's one of our only continuity errors. Special guest just joined us. Say hello to Jim Jacks, producer of uh, Raising Arizona, Days Confused, and now our new movie, Mallrats. Jim, yell hi to the people in Lazerdust Land. <laughs> Jim's got the big, biggest collection of Laserdiscs uh, of anyone I've ever met, and probably in the whole world. Jim, uh, why don't you let us know what you thought about Clerks first time you saw it at Sundance. Uh, Walt again. Not the, not the Eggman character either, but a lot of people thought he was. Yeah, it's Letterbox. This tape? Sure. Um, you'll notice he's buying paper towels and uh, and window washing spray, glass cleaner. So basically, it fits the monologue. Yeah, the scene was written for a woman, but the woman wouldn't play it at the last minute. So once again, the Lon Chaney of the '90s steps up to the plate. Where's my glasses? Those are my glasses. Rice coat. We waldoed his hair. Look at that. There's the only nudity in the film. Look at that slight pause when he turns before he runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the big screen that came out crystal clear. We're gonna take a peek at these people, and then Jim's gonna Jim's gonna give us a few good words, maybe, maybe about clerks. I don't bother them, and they don't bother me. A liar. Tell me there aren't customers that annoy the piss This is one of the first things I ever conceived when I thought about the screenplay. It was kind of like an ode to Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, where he does the whole dog sequence where, where the guys just give those bad one-liners to chicks. I just like the idea of totally separate from the entire film kind of headshots of these people talking at the camera. If you'll notice, there's three of them, and then there's another three. They're both talking about disparate groups of people, but they're both the same people. Although this person right here, that's my mom. If you look really closely, I inherited her thighs. This was one of the last things we shot. That's my mother. Definitely wanted to be cut out. Do you see some of the new releases? You can figure out when we shot it. There's Dave, DP Dave, in his second appearance in the film. When he had hair. Now Dave's bald. Here we go. I never got blasted for that. I really thought somebody would say something about that. Ooh, Navy SEALs joke. Never once. Now here they go. And then Brian talks about the same group of people. You mean I gotta drink this coffee hot? So how much is this thing anyway? Do you sell hubcaps for 72 Pinto hatchback? This was an ad lib. You can listen to that mini trucking magazine. It's really subtle. Jim, clerks, thoughts? 
Jesus, you got a one -trick Well, <laughs> it'd be easier if Jason weren't. Yeah, yeah. Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> Says, well, my first reaction was I wish the director and producer hadn't been sitting right behind me as I was watching it. I'd been introduced to them right before the lights went down, and then they plopped right behind me. <laughs> no, I was actually very taken with the dialogue and the acting. Why don't you go back to the video store? The amount of money it was made for it was quite a, quite an achievement. You had to tell him, and it was an honest opinion. What did he say? He said at least he wasn't 36. I was very, very, very taken with that movie. And he also said that most of them were college guys. I've never even seen or met before. Yeah, well, I told you. One of the, my first reaction was, was like, was that I thought, gee, let's remake this. <laughs> you know, but as a, you know, as an a, as a, a movie, you know, color and, you know, I mean, really, and just open it up. I mean, a lot of things that are talked about, actually see it. And then talking to you. And we said, well, let's, sure. let's do that in kind of a different, but with a different group of characters. And that's basically how Mallrats kind of started off. Hence the new movie. The second of the trilogy. That rack, there's like, uh, there's a couple magazines that aren't, that would never be found in Quick Stop. One was Film Threat. One was uh, The Independent. Um, there's a gaff if you look closely the People magazine cover changes twice during the filming once it's with Brandon Lee when he died and the other is with Punky Brewster solo on Moonfly when she got her breasts uh, enlarged or shortened I don't know but anyway that was the cover of People magazine when we were shooting the movie it's a hell of a commentary isn't it yeah we've been passing around this was another scene that we cut down severely we tried to get some words from Jay but he's still out cold so I'm stuck here until closing Oh, this yeah, this scene great. did actually go on much longer. It started and uh, with him that, dialing and, and went on, but we no, cut it. Actually, it started oh, sorry, by uh, first cameo, which got cut. Yeah, it started yeah, at the counter with Vincent talking to Randall about the cat, oh, well, and then we right. panned over to Brian at the phone. But instead, when we were cutting well, the phone down, we just right? cut right to Brian on the phone. Yeah. It starts with that ominous chord of music, and then he says Vermont. Vermont? Can you fucking believe this? You didn't mention that to you this morning? Not a word, not a fucking word. This is another bit of, of, of dialogue back and forth that I was always really taking with. Uh, isn't this the, uh, the take that Brian got frustrated and ran out of the store in the middle of the night? This is roast Brian night. Yeah, this was uh, definitely one of the takes. We could not get this down. And at one point, Bri just in a fit ran outside and just ran up the block, jogged up the block, cleared his head, came back, did the scene. Most time buckle is ever said in any movie. See, there you go again. I can't believe I'm gonna miss the fucking game. Yeah, at least we're stuck here together. And you're actually very good at us. Why Which is probably why he's here yeah, in Mallrats. Exactly, uh, Brian turns up again in Mallrats. As his brother. Yeah, as, as the either brother yeah, or cousin of Dante Hicks. But you gotta pay to see more rats. Point is, I can't play today. Neither can Randall. He's working too. Hey, wait a second. Do we have to play at the park? Hold on. You feeling limber? Okay, for here we have Walt's hands taking up the stick, both sides. Ed, half stack, slapping up the ball. Walt tying his skates again. Well, my list is tighter, man. 
This is one of my favorite scenes of the film because the dialogue's going real fast. And Ed Hapsack just joined us, fourth man of our four-man crew on Clerks. Ed's going to skate on in here in a second at Sanford. Ed, you got some thoughts on your character? First of all, I do play hockey, and I am a New Jersey Devil fan. It was great to have an opportunity to play hockey on a roof, even though it was barely a game, but we did get to, I did get to play around. And Kevin, Kevin did let me improvise my shoe polish smelling motherfucker line, which made me a little more comfortable with the The other thing about the hockey scene I like is I got to operate the camera while on rollerblades. David Klein kind of wheeling me around the roof and some low angle shots. And if you notice when you watch the game, I am one of the only ones that score. Because I did, I did pretty much rule everybody on the roof. If you, yes, I, I quite tame. There's me picking my ass because we need some kind of action. Jay just woke up from his drunken stupor, so he might be joining us for some commentary. So you'll notice the sound cutting here. It's all loud up there. It's all quiet below. This is what we came to call in sound editing the world above, world below phenomena. The music's loud when we're on the roof. Below, it's quiet. There's producer Scott Mosier. In his second role, shaved beard. First, you'll remember he was Snowball outside the store. And now you'll see him uh, with no beard. Quick note, I am a Ranger fan. I'm not a Penguins fan, by the way. I had no choice. And you'll notice that uh, Randall's the only one that doesn't wear a team jersey. He wears a CCP jersey, uh, 3CP, which is uh, which puts him out once again as a, a rebel amongst us. So here's Scott, pops his head into the frame. Going to begin this scene. Actually on the ladder, the ladder where he almost fell a few times. Yeah, Scott will say pal twice, I'll show you. Pal number one. Pal number two. Now here's uh, Danny, who would not play Snowball. Didn't want to be known as the cum eater. And there is Scott playing Willem. And there's Scott playing the angry hockey guy. Scott yelling at Scott. The only special effect in Clerks. <laughs> I always like these shots right here. Yeah, first draft this hockey game was in the street. And when Vincent read it, uh, we were actually walking out of the store one night. He was like, you should play it on the roof. And uh, we looked up and we couldn't really see the roof. But we were like, wow, it sounds like a good idea. So I wrote it on the roof instead. And then uh, when I actually saw the roof, I wished that I kept it in the street. Because the roof was so damn small. But it wound up being one of the most memorable scenes from Clerks. Yeah, listen to Jay. We did it a few times and he had a different line each time. What would you think of that? That Dingleberry your favorite? Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps it would be better if you passed out again. <laughs> And stayed, uh, just stayed passed out for the remainder of the movie. Watch here, we got the whole Warner Brothers music thing popping in again. For the first time. 
With that duck, man. Could anything be funnier than that duck? You did lose that ball. Yeah, and that ball, the ball did actually get lost. And that whole hockey game thing we repeated for the video. The music video, the solo sound video, can't even tell. Which, if all goes well, is on this laser disc. So you can see a repeat of that. The, the only, the closest thing will ever come to a clerk sequel. <coughs> and in color. Al Berkowitz here. Yeah, this is pretty weird. And they lean into it at the back of the front. Oh, I just thought that'd be cool. Al Berkowitz played the old man. He did a great job. He played it really ethnic, though, which is kind of weird. And you'll notice here, uh, when the first cut of this film, he goes up and back to the counter about four times in the first cut. But now, in, in this one, I think he only does it. This is the first time. Then he does it two more times. And we used, uh, which is probably the worst cutaway in the entire movie, to bridge, uh, to get rid of that third time he came up to the counter, to just go one, two, right to four. And I'll show you that coming up. It's really bad. It's the one thing we hate watching whenever we watch the movie. Because we did this all in one long take, which is pretty nice. And at the end of this take, when, when Al, as the old man, walks out for the final time, he went off camera, stood next to Walter in, in the uh, medicine aisle, and started talking and laughing. And we all, like, whipped our heads to look at him because we couldn't believe it. Thank God the mic didn't pick it up. Boy chick. Sticking to the steadfast rule that comedy is repetition. Repetition is comedy. He just keeps coming up. But uh, three times was the charm, four times was not. Hence, we cut out that third time. So here comes that bad cut cover I was talking about. The worst cutaway in film history. That was actually from the hockey scene. It was a cut we used. We didn't have any coverage when we chopped minutes out of the film, so we went to a scene that was actually supposed to be in the hockey scene where at one point the game stopped and Ed dropped the money off the roof. Jason collected it and then threw up a bag of weed. But it was out of place. Ed motherfucker muse, as they say. And uh, we wound up using it as coverage for this. doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but I wish we had a cat cutaway. Which we probably did, but we were just too damn lazy to go find it amidst all the cutaway ruins. Twelve minutes is not a game. Jesus, it's hardly even a warm-up. Bitch, bitch, bitch. You want something to drink? Yeah, Gatorade. And then here comes the, um... People found this cutaway that coming up really jarring, but I liked it. It's something I kind of got from a John Hughes movie. the start of a role and the opening of this scene there was a bad burnout and this was like the only good tape film historian Vin Pereira weighing in with that little known fact I forgot that's true and uh, for the record Jeff hated beef jerky but he had to eat about what seven or eight of them because we went about eight takes on this there's Scott offering me a sandwich it's about the only shot that we're in uh and then getting rejected, trying not to laugh as he takes the sandwich back. The only shot, I think, that we're in the entire movie together, except for, yeah, I think that's it. No, no, we come in in the beginning, but in Mallrats, we don't appear together at all. 
hate people, but I love gatherings. Isn't it ironic? Yeah, there's Willem Black returns. Willem Black, the character Scott plays in Clerks, returns in Mallrats with a whole different look. But you're going to have to pay to see that. But Scott does return as a different character. Exactly, which means I can't close it for another hour just so we can both go to awake. You were saying? Now this was great, and we actually, the first time we were, I was working next door in the Kavita store, Scott was cutting the movie in the, in the video store, remember you actually cut this scene? You're trying to do coverage style, the dork, so we had to wind up, go back and, and cut it back together as the one long take that it is. Yeah, because what happens is in this take that we wound up using in the movie, Jeff loves his lines, but it works for the scene, because it seems like he's crying, I'll point it out when it happens. Yeah, he's actually driving. That's not a stunt driver. No camera car there. And I'm in the back holding the, the, the mic or the boom, and Dave's holding the camera, swinging back and forth. And that, a little bit. We wound up getting McDonald's after it was all over. Here it comes. Listen. That little pause there, that's Jeff messing up, but it makes it seem like he's actually getting teary in the scene. They're actually driving towards the store, not away from it. Yeah, that's if you lived near there. Yeah. If you live in Leonardo, you'd know that's true. That's why all the Leonardites wouldn't turn out for this movie, because they just utterly didn't agree with the logistics. The reverse logistics. And hear that? That's um, Golden Smog, fronted by Dave Perner, singing um, Shooting Star. Where it is, where it's sourced out of, I don't know, but the music stops when they step outside. You hear a little mic noise here. A little boom noise in there. It's because I wasn't holding the boom very straight. That was one of the coldest days that we've ever shot. I was freezing. Yeah, there was some bad wind. And also, we never asked for permission to shoot at this uh, funeral parlor. We just showed up that morning. There's Dave in the middle, DP Dave popping up again. And in the lower right-hand corner, Mrs. Topper owns a store. It's her only appearance in Clerks. So, yeah, if you look real closely in that upstairs window, you might see some guy looking out because he lives above the funeral parlor, and we never asked to use this thing. We showed up, some guy with a camera, some guy with this Nagra, and two guys walking up to the, to, the, to the door and then go running out. We did that twice and then left. Did a little uh, Starsky and Hutch roll over the car there. That is not a stunt, man. And here comes Ed. Here comes uh, from the back. You see Scott, a woman, and Dave, our DP, whipping a rock. But that woman in the middle is none other than Ed. Ed in drag. I can't fucking believe it. I'm telling you, it wasn't my fault. You knocked the casket over, for Christ's sake. Yeah, which actually had to get cut down severely. Someone knocks the casket over on purpose? lost. Suddenly we go from day to night in the movie, but nobody ever called us on that. Probably the harshest moment in Clerks when Jeff says, shut the fuck up, junkie, and the fart that's almost inaudible. Jay runs over to him and farts on him, but he can't really hear it. And if you, you didn't see, <coughs> there was a shadow coming in from the left. That was me pulling in Scott, but we cut that part of the scene. Silent Bob was pulling in Willem Black, who was supposedly masturbating. Not on camera, but off in the woods, but we cut it out. This isn't a dolly. We did this nine times on a dolly, and one time 
handheld, and we wound up using the one handheld. Walter, another appearance. What's his name? Annoying customer. Fucking dickhead. The hooded Walter showing up again, the Lon Chaney of the 90s, this time without any makeup whatsoever. We are employees of the Quick Stop Convenience and RST Video, respectively. As such, we have certain... Yeah, that was the night we actually lost the cat in the woods, held up production for a good hour and a half, two hours. You like that part, Che? I love it. Walter's funny. <laughs> this is the other guy that runs the uh, first avenue playoffs where we had auditions, Gary, whose uh, whose lady would not be the role that Walter played, the offended customer. That's why Gary Stern. So Walter had to don the glasses and Brian's coat to become the offended customer. Because this guy's girlfriend wouldn't do it. She thought the screenplay was too pure. Huh? Where she got that idea, I have no idea. They print any kind of shit in this paper. They certainly do. Three dollars. So your argument is that title dictates... Yeah, right before we started filming, the, vid the comedian store finally got a lottery machine. So if you look on the door, there's a lottery banner, but yet no lottery machine in evidence because I didn't write it into the script and I didn't want to bother. Plus, we needed all that room on the counter so you could see the guys. they said, we were miraculously saved at the zero hour... By a koala fish mutant bird. Yeah, the one I think, hands down, the worst line in the script is koala fish mutant bird. I don't know what I was thinking. One of the only inside jokes in the script, though, is uh, Space Alien revealed his head as Time Warner, which always got a laugh at film festivals. The great water spinning scene. Listen to the very haunting and eerie delivery of this line. This one here. Sounds like Bush Karloff. I'll never but come in here again. The slight nod. I never knew he did that. What? I'll never. Oh, where he flips him, like, gives him the salute. Okay, here's the man who would be Dante, Ernie O'Donnell, wound up playing the trainer. And a pretty great little performance here. He's got some really great one-liners. But uh, through conflicting ideas of how the character should be portrayed, Ernie's on the other side of the counter instead of where Brian's standing as Dante. I'm a trainer. And let's point out that Randall leaves the store. Randall left. And as Vinny pointed out in the first draft of the screenplay, Randall left to go hang out with his girlfriend, go pick her up. And there was a sex scene, I believe, but I cut it out. But since uh, he never mentions really, you know, he never really mentions girls, it's kind of nebulous as to what his whole sexual preference is. And a lot of people hypothesize that Randall was a big closeted homosexual. Kind of like Jughead. Jughead for Archie. Uh, that sweet young thing right there, that's uh, Kim Lochran, the girl who I dated all through high school and most of her college career. And she's uh, she's the, the uh, kind of the impetus for the two characters. She's the one that inspired them, uh, the two female characters, Caitlin and Veronica. 
Excuse me, have you been here all day? Yeah, since 6 Ken Clark as the uh, the administrator of the fine. Don't have love handles. This is the only scene where we really get into like coverage, yes. coverage. Being around all this food every day. Oh, I know. If Goes I to two shots to one shot. Which was nice practice for the working on. Dante Hicks, why? What's this all about? Yeah. You're Dante Hicks? My God, I didn't even recognize you. He's out of shape. Do I know you? Yeah, do you remember Alyssa Jones? She used to hang out with Caitlin Bray. I'm her sister. You're Alyssa's sister, Heather? Say Caitlin Bray? Yeah. Pretty girl, little tall in her, gorgeous body. Yeah. You're Dante Hicks. Yeah, there was one or two lines that explain that this guy Rick Darris liked to take chicks to the beach, to make love on a beach. So it doesn't really make sense when she's like, sure, how about the beach? But, uh, well, if you read the script, it would make sense. What? Yeah, about two, three years ago, you two were dating. I drove a black transit. Oh, my blanket, you drunk. What does one say during a scene like this? What's up? Vin with a historical tale. Several takes of him saying you used to fuck Caitlyn Bree, and one of them was used to have sex with Caitlyn Bree and used to fuck Caitlyn Bree. And I remember there was a bit of a back and forth as to whether you should use fuck or sex. Ultimately, went with the harsher of the two. Hence the NC-17 later on, which we battled, reversed to get and did not have to cut a single frame. Little sound gaff there. You hear an S, an S left over from something else. Yeah, yeah. The time doesn't really make sense. There's two things: uh, the the time issue here, because uh, four o'clock. I mean, it would have been six by the time. It would have been earlier when he sold the cigarettes to the girl, because they were playing hockey around four or something. And it comes up later on with the uh, when the old guy's found in the bathroom. Yes, this is absolutely a law. This comes from. Oh, I don't know. You probably could. You could, as you're very fond of pointing out, Walter, you could contest anything in a court of law. But uh, yeah, that's actually a real statute. I had to call up and get the specs on that statute. Yeah. I remember in high school, I thought these two had had an affair once. Yeah, right. You def- you defend me, right? Yeah, Caitlin wasn't really here. That's the magic of cinema. We just picked up that line. This is in a video store that no longer exists. Video, uh, Choice Video, which uh, in the movie was called Big Choice Video. Choice Video is closed now. Yeah, they closed down. Listen to you. What are you, a friggin' commercial for the place? That really great video store in Middletown? There was an expanded scene as well. Yeah, there was actually a scene that I kind of wrote right before we went into it, but uh, we couldn't do it because the, the equipment broke down that night. It was going to be Vinny's big line scene. Yep, and there's Silent Bob. First appearance of Elisa Spoonhour as Caitlin and her tour de force 10 minutes. Silent Bob up. There's Reggie, son of the owner of the store. And there's Vinny. Look at those. How far can you roll those sleeves up? Vincent with a haircut. I mean, Vincent with a clean-cut haircut. Now Vinny's shaved like a, like a skinhead. And here's the very big, often-remembered dancing scene. 
little point, if you notice, when Silent Bob went into the, uh, the store, he bought a thing of sugar. Yeah. Either they're either they're cutting their dope down, yeah. or he just needs a really big sugar high. No, what it was was it was something I cut cut later on. Was uh, after the ambulance pulls away in a scene you'll see later on, we cut back to Jason eating a box of sugar. Yeah. And then uh, we. No, the music that was playing. I think we listened to the beginning of a House of Pain song, and then we shut it off just for him to get it, and just to let you know what a big spaz he is. We had to clear the friggin' set the night he was dancing. It's kind of hard to clear a set because we're outside. It's night, right? So, you know, we're about to shoot this dancing thing, and Jay's like, I don't want to do it, man. I don't want to dance in front of everybody. So everyone had to go hide in the friggin' video store so this child could pull his, uh, pull his moves. He was such a prima donna, but in the end it worked. Now in Mallrats, as we shoot Mallrats here, uh, there's another dancing sequence, but he couldn't get away with that. Uh, Everybody's got to turn around, crap, because there's too many people on the set, so he had to dance in front of everybody. So this right here, yeah, this is the very the second scene shot. So if you look at his look at Brian's beard, it's kind of thin there as as compared to like most of the other places in the film where his beard is is really thick. But this is the second thing we shot. We did this all in one take, seven minutes, close to seven minutes. But yeah, one take. No, it's the other scene. You'll, we'll get to later. But look at, I mean, the performance level on the scene is incredible. There's not a flub. We never cut. And they go back and forth. So Lisa here, ironically enough, wound up getting engaged to Jeff, who plays Randall. And by the time this disc comes out, no, they won't be married yet, but they're on their way to the altar. They postponed the wedding. Yeah, but they met and fell in love on a set of clerks. Now who will... Now, who will meet and fall in love on a set of mall rats, Jay? Me and me. Yeah, moves is me. Just for the sake, for the benefit of those out there who might not know that. Yeah, I mean, what can be said? It's just a great, it's a great performance. It's one of the, it's the, it's the one moment in the scene that I'm probably in craft and most proud of. Because these guys are just fantastic. You have nothing to do with oh, you lie. Look how full of yourself you are. Hey, I just believe in giving <laughs> The journalist caught unawares. <laughs> it's the good load. Why am I having sex with an Asian design major? In the what? When I say I don't want to get married, I mean just that. This is the second thing we ever shot. First thing was that take with you that we had to cut, which we'll point out later on. Keeping that frame of mind. Oh, I think Shang and Veronica. Yeah, an omen, as Walter, as the very superstitious Walter pointed out. But we thought because we got this in one take that we'd get everything in one take, and we were soon to find out that that was wrong. But this is the first night of shooting, and we had about 12 to, to 15 people crammed in the video store watching this. And this huge crew. 21 shooting days. 27575 dollars Well, I raised it from credit cards, and uh, there was some, I sold a comic book collection for some credit that I sold off to friends to get cash. 
There was a big storm that took away two of my cars that I shared with this little dog over here. Do you remember the night you told me, like, Moves, let me take the car. Um, I'm going to park up top the hill. It's supposed to flood. And I was like, no. And then, the, and then a flood came and flooded the car out. And, and then I was I, I was kind of left looking like a dork. Well, it was bad at first, but then it was good because I got fat money from the government for those trash cars from the FEMA grant, which went into the budget. So it was fucking, it was good. Yeah, you were right. That was the one time Jason's ever been right. More more, way more than me. I wanted to leave the car in my driveway where it was, and he wanted to take it out. I was right in the end because I got money, but he was right because it got flooded. And that was kind of like wardrobe choice. It was like, well, that looks good. Keep that. Which attests to the fact that Marilyn wears that white belly blouse because I have no sense of fashion whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, and that storm that took away the two cars that helped finance this film, I almost lost my entire Laserdisc collection. Uh, how the Kev didn't build that house, but thankfully the Laserdiscs were spared. Although the you know the the slip covers, some of them got water damaged. But there's a happy ending because the movie got made. Yeah, Lisa, I found at uh, Brookdale Community College. Uh, we were still looking for Caitlin, so I stopped in at Brookdale, which is a local community college, sat in on an acting class and just watched one class, and she was in the class, and she was really good, so I came up to her afterwards. So do you want to be in a movie? And I produced the VSQ uh, company card, which has a clown, you know, the clown from the opening animation on it. And it says, and the card says... Uh, Oh, here's us dancing again. And the card says, uh, we'll put anything in our mouths. Just kidding. We make films. And here we go. Yeah. Dancing Bob, dancing Jay. Many, many times. And I've never done it. During this uh, this little part here with the video store where he comes back from the video store, I had a massive head cold these few days that we were shooting to. I'm just like trying to hold my nose from running down my entire face. Yeah, if you listen real closely, you hear a cat meowing. Also, you notice the summons is a different piece of paper than what was originally handed to Dante. And you'll notice that Dante tucks his pants into his, uh, into his uh, Doc Martens there. Yeah, yeah, I never noticed that. Looks like a goose stepper. That's right. Uh, why don't you like screaming at me right now? Because I'm happy. You're happy. I'm happy. Hmm. You're happy to get a fine. No, I'm happy because Caitlin. Dialogue's really fast in this scene too, which I really, really like. Look at that clo- tape very closely. It says "Best of Both Worlds." Wow, you've had quite an evening. She went home and she's getting ready, and we're going out. I feel so ineffectual. Is there anything I can do for you? Watch a store while I go home and change? What happened to title dictates behavior? Well, this is my way of spitting water at life. All right. You want me to bring the VCR over so we can watch this? No, I might be leaving early to go out with yeah, you. Yeah, who's the answer? You're going to have to lock up the store tonight. All right, but you're missing out. Sure, absolutely, but we kept a running tally. We had to pay for it. Now, in this very dark, shadowy scene, you see Jay. This was much longer, too, and we cut it down. There's me, and there's Jay, and there's some locals, including Tara, Ed's lady love. And you can hear Berserker being played in the background, a recording of By Love Amongst Freaks of that song. And if, if you look really closely, science is I eat cock. 
You know, the first print, it was so washed out, I couldn't see it. Hear this porno soundtrack? That's us. We made the porno soundtrack. One day, if you get a chance and you're not listening to their dialogue, just listen to the porno soundtrack underneath. It's actually pretty funny. It's me and Dave. Me and DP Dave baking up a sick porno soundtrack. And later on, when we were mixing the film, before it got released, other people wound up on it as well. See, once again, Lisa's outfit. Total testament to the fact that I know nothing about fashion. DP Dave has finally arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, DP Dave. Say hi, Dave. We've been talking about you. We've been talking about your handiwork. But you haven't been here to comment. So think of some stuff to say. Yeah, as Dave would say, I need a light. A halogen light. So this is ironic because these two people here are now engaged. And if you look really closely... He's eating Apple Jacks, drinking Yoo-Hoo, and there's some DC comics on the counter in front of him. And as uh, Lisa walks away, he cops to look at her ass. He does. Just a little omen for the future. And watch, there's one point where in the next scene, Brian's going to walk in, and you're going to hear what sounds like a drum like a drum roll, but it's not that. I'll point it out. When he throws his your coat, yeah, it makes it makes it like it makes a cymbal kind of noise. I'll point it out. And that was totally unintentional. You are very protective of him, Randall. You always have been. Territoriality. Who's mine first? <laughs> Here we go. Takes a look at a butt. But again, Randall, not very interested in chicks. Goes back to watching TV. Here, listen. Here comes the sound. Sounds like a drum roll, man, but it's not. This was my favorite line in rehearsals. Poo-poo, wee-wee, fuck you. Made me laugh time and time again. Yeah, let's talk about the old composition here and pass the mic over to DP Dave. This composition here was was really tough. We uh, it was it was very different from what we've we've done before in the rest of the movie because uh, well we're at the counter. <laughs> it, you know it differs from the uh, say the the anti-smoker crusade or the uh, well anything else that plays at the counter. It's just very different. See, it's it's handheld, as you can tell. Yeah, we, we did. We had a big fluorescent bank right up above these, these three. No, they're fluorescent. Stupid. We had another one behind the counter. And Basically. I'm serious. So we didn't just have sex in the bathroom. No. Well, for all the people that pay a lot of money for this disc, kind of got fucked. Are you sure there was someone back there? Who did we shoot it at? Jesus Christ. God, I'm sick. Total stranger. Shut the fuck up. 
Five six oh, round wait, round of four and a five a six. Back to Kev. Who the fuck's in our bathroom? Technical mumbo jumbo. Back to the real reporting. Look, you can kind of see his uh, his eyes move. He's not really dead. Okay, look at that. See that hard on under the uh, under the blanket there? The sheet. Well, that's uh, a plunger or a piece of a broom handle that we propped up. Yeah, a bulbous tip. That was the effect we were going for. Yeah, it's funny because this is a a lot of people ask us. There's the porno mag, and there's uh, Ken Clark again playing the ambulance attendant, the minister of fines. That's his wife, who plays the uh, coroner. She's writing pretty fast on that clapboard, isn't she? The clipboard. And here's here's uh, here's old Willem, who makes his final appearance in the film. And a lot of people, a lot of women said that that was really disturbing image of uh, Lisa sitting in the back of the ambulance with a sheet wrapped around her, kind of shivering. I thought it was funny. In the wacky, wacky yeah. world of the clerks, that's what happens. While watching this film in the theater is pretty fun because people. Yeah, and there goes Willem. Willem comes into the ambulance un- unnoticed and sits down. That cut went on longer to where he took off his hat and put it on the guy's hard on, and then he started eating the bagel, but it didn't make it into the final cut. But you'll see the hat. There's the hat covering, he's eating the bagel. My man. There was originally a shot of Jason eating sugar. Yeah, this was the point where the sugar came into play. Once the ambulance left, Dave was eating sugar. I, I have simply asked somebody that I knew on the Leonardo ambulance uh, ambulance what do they call that squad salsa shark big tribute to jaws here yeah if you'll notice the uh, brain the brand name of the uh, of the salsa is covered by a, a piece of camera tape Dave Edmund Moore that technical mumbo jumbo camera tape for those of you that don't know what it is it's tape that you use on the camera it's pretty pricey. So you notice you don't really see the brand of the chip. It's obscured in every shot. Although behind them you see many brands of brand name food, so I don't know why we felt the need to obscure Doritos when you could see Fiddle Faddle, Orville Redenbacher, Crunch and Munch, Hershey's. I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah, if you'll notice people keep coming into the store. And they ask, are you open? Which is funny because there's a big banner that says they are open. And everyone asks for a pack of cigarettes. No one asks for brand names. We did that because there's that whole non-smoking diatribe in the beginning where uh, they refer to it as the Nazis of the 90s, the manufacturer of cigarettes. So just to stay away from any possible lawsuits, we uh, just figured, hey, best not to even mention it, not to mention brand names. Plus it's just funny that it's in this, in the clerk's universe, people just come in and ask for cigarettes and they get them. Oh my God, Jay, shaking off that that hangover and coming up with a comment. Life of 
Inconvenience was one of the titles, also Inconvenience, but Clerks came from a list that Vinny gave me. Vinny said, why don't you call up Rude Clerks? And I said, nah, but Clerks, now there's a name. Hence Clerks. But meanwhile, all you ever do is talk about Caitlyn. You carry a torch for a girl you dated in high school. In high school, for God's sakes, you're 22. Leave me alone. You want Caitlyn? See this cutaway? We needed because uh, we couldn't make it through with a, a whole take of that thing. Don't pine for one and fuck the other. That was another thing we kept messing up. And that person that asked for, you know, are you open? That was me. You know, it must be so great to have this ability to simplify things the way you do. Are you open? You're wrong. Things happen today, all right? Things that probably ruined my chances with Caitlyn. Oh, what? The dead guy? She'll get over fucking a dead guy. So what do you guy. think about Shit, Fettle? Shit, my mom's been fucking well, a dead Fettle's guy good. for 30 years. Crunchy Munch. Crunchy Munch is bad. I call him my dad always. Well, how did you ever hear Mr. Mr. Moore laughing? I'm not expecting What? What do you want me to say? Yes, some of the things you're saying are true. Uh, my father liked the movie fine, but he w- he never mentioned that line. But he's a big right. Navy SEALs kind of guy, so we had a, we went our separate ways right there. As soon as that Navy SEALs joke popped up, you know, he felt like I had crossed him. Navy SEALs was the hottest renting video in, in, in RST Video's history. People love that movie to death. You'll notice both the stores op- actually are operating under their real names, Quick Stop and RST. We never bothered to change them. Yeah, they're still there in Leonardo, too. Go down there. I'm not there, but you know, stores. Yeah, the sign. And here we go. The final moment in the film for both Jay and Silent Bob. What do you think about that cardigan sweater? It's pretty sweet. <laughs> Jay's rallying cry of Neutsch, Neutsch, Neutsch. Now watch the continuity errors here. Sometimes the hat's back, sometimes it's more forward, sometimes the shirt's on his shoulder, sometimes it's not. This scene actually went on much longer, a minute longer, but we had to cut it. Because uh, it just didn't make much sense. We just rambled and rambled. We had a half hour worth of footage on this scene, which had to be cut into, what, two, two and a half, three minutes? Because Jay was totally stoned that night. Was this the night that he was asleep on the phone? Yeah. He was utterly gone. And then Scott went to get him to shoot it. Watch this. This is a fun moment we all thought was funny. But nobody in the audience ever thought that was funny. So the Scott went to get Jay. And Jay was dead asleep on the floor. And the phone was next to his ear. And somebody was talking the other end going, Jay? Jay? And so we had to wake him up to do this scene. I saw her rubbing your back. Come bring your food. Now watch this. Eighty-yard line. You'll notice that's not in sync at all. That line that he just did. She does a lot for you. Borrowed from another take. And he didn't really fuck up. That was scripted. But it looks like it did. And here comes Jay going off. Totally unscripted. Silent Bob's only speaking line. Now you'll hear Jay in the background. Summon me. Come on, lame dick. 
And every take it was different. Come on, Tubby. Come on, Limp Dick. Come on, Two Tons of Fun. <laughs> so I went with Limp Dick. Now this scene, you'll notice the makeup in this scene. Jeff looks like a raccoon or, or a female impersonator. This was the very, very first scene that we ever shot. And um, the makeup uh, girl went a little off on him. So it's he's got a lot of eyeliner there. You see camera flares, too. Yeah, actually, when Randall left the store, he went into a duo, a female impersonator cabaret, and then came back. Now, that scene was cut severely because Walter used to cut come into the store after she left and hold up the tape and go, ooh, Navy suit. But it just went on, so we lost Walter's last appearance as himself. The only time he appears in his own leather jacket as himself. Yeah, this 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 shot took a lot of takes to get. Because I mean, yeah, it's a pretty big speech. I mean, I almost got to spit out. But look at that camera work, man. Who was working the camera that day? Let's talk to DP Dave. Hey Dave. The scene is uh, very different from the rest of the film because we're uh, looking away from the counter. <laughs> Looking away from the camera, from the counter, and nice shot of Marilyn covered by hair. One of the different stages of Brian's goatee, too. I think that's thin, isn't it? Moves, Kevin Smith. I always love this shot, man. Very subtle light. Very subtle light. All dark in the back. It's all calm. Moment before the storm. Not the whole thing. I fell asleep during some of the previous parts. It wasn't really tall. It looks like you brightly on a couple of people as opposed to solo moonfall. And this is uh, corrosion of conformity, man. It really kill it. A little COC. Yeah, fucking A. So this scene went on and on, too. We actually cut this guy. The fight went on to ridiculous lengths. And that mess, making that mess was fun. And at film festivals, people asked, did you pay for that food? And I was always like, yeah. Next question. Swelling's not that bad. Yeah, I should be young. You were able to um, salvage your neck. Yeah. And we gave it to Jay. Fucking A. Who was drunk, who was like, mm, this is good, man. Is this food fresh? And then passed out. Yeah, this scene was, again, one of the hardest scenes to film because... Jeff has to spit out a very big speech, and we couldn't do it. Well, we could we could do it. Jeff could get it all out. So sometimes you'll hear when he throws things across, it actually hits a board at one point. Right? We had written uh, we written the lines on a board. And first cue cards, but uh, first and only cue cards. He really is pissed. Because after, you know, he would storm out of the shop and go and punch the wall. He was, he was so mad. Which really worked for the scene. 
so we can watch it together. And again, we're doing a really good job of fighting up all the brand names of those candies. Milky Way. Yeah, I mean, every time they print something from the film, it's this. I always thought this or the shot of them on the cooler should have been the poster shot. You know what the real tragedy about all this is? But, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, pal. Well, for the record. Yeah. Actually, we held the script right off camera. And you would look at it over the counter, right beyond the camera. So it's just as good as a cue card. Oh, We'd feed them to you one by one. Jay, now say this. Um... Um, I saw Jack up your car once. See, we wanted to get this all in one take, too. We had to break in the coverage. Which actually works nicer. Christ, you work in a convenience store, Dante. And badly, I might add. I work in a shitty video store, badly Kevin's as well. Kevin's best friend. You know, that guy Jay's got it right, man. He has no delusions about what he does. Us, we like Fucking to make Jay, ourselves seem man. so much more got important right. than the people that come in here to buy a paper or, God forbid, cigarettes. Oh, we we look down on them as if we're so advanced. Well, if we're so fucking advanced, what are we doing working here? Very, very angry. Really angry exit. Try the still piece of candy at that time. Daniel Ma kind of ends the whole film. Oh yeah, well, here we are, the last, uh, the last uh, intertitle. Actually, use those words. It was going to be um, hey, chapter headings of like clean. first, second, third circle thought, door. kind of after Dante's Inferno. But instead, uh, since we didn't know what the fate of the film would be, I figured I'd insure the film a, a nice space on the college uh, film market, you know, college uh, repertory house market, by putting in big fat vocabulary words. So it works, but everyone. Uh, this is the only part of the film that's kind of pretentious. The only thing, the only thing about those big words, though, is when uh, we'd go to film festivals or people who would meet me, Brian, they would say, "Oh, Dante." They thought it was the credits, and thus I was going by one name actor basis. Here comes the new window from Jeff. Listen. Want me to do anything for you before I get out of here? Like a little, uh, a little, uh, you know. Once again, leading into the whole. Is, is Randall gay? Yeah, we had to listen to this 80-yard loop. Sound okay. He's, he sings, here comes Randall. He's a berserker. But really, it was here comes Wrangler. And he's one tough customer. It was the Wrangler song. Dave Perner fucking rolls. Yeah, solo sound kicks in, ending the movie with a big bang. But uh, as you'll see in the edited, uh, the, the edited out footage that follows the, the movie... There was a, there was a, a, the movie actually went on a little longer. Let's look at the credits though. Look at that. Walt, 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 Walt flying again four times in a row. Use. There's Vinny, Vinny. The whole Pereira family, as a matter of fact. Fucking A. Milky Boots. The dog, Haiku. The cat, Lennon's tune. Ooh. 
Benji, man, he put together, helped us put together a really killer soundtrack. Which, you know, when we made the film, nobody ever, I, I never thought about music once. And we wound up coming off with some really nice songs. Really great video. Which should follow this movie. But if you look closely, after Berserker, the song Big Problems, it's really big problem. Well, actually, that won't be like that. I'd imagine that. John McClellan, here's our boy. Boom, whoever grabbed the ball, always got a big laugh. John Pearson, man. There's a few people we should mention as a credits role, of course. John Pearson, indie guru, helped uh, get us to where we are today. Sold our film in there. Next, Bob Hawk, who discovered it, the IFFM. He's a two-name, Bobby Hawk. Two names are the most important names in the independent film industry. If anyone out there, think about making an independent film. Bob Hawk, John Pearson. And our legal aid, John Sloss, lawyer extraordinaire. And then we got the special thanks section. The Invitational Lunch mentioned the credits. Uh, at film school, I asked Scott if he wanted to grab some lunch and we went to Denny's. And then we became friends and uh, then we made a movie together. Uncle Laz, my uncle that died while we were making the movie, he was an actor. James Silent Bob will return in drama, but first the return in what? All rats, fucking A. Smoking weed, smoking weed, smoking weed.